0: Yeah.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Dirty Talk Podcast. I'm Rain.
2: And I'm Chris. And I have good taste in music.
1: Generally, yes. I'm not sold on Neutral Milk Hotel.
2: I'm still working on you with Neutral Milk Hotel. Eventually, you will get the genius that is Neutral Milk Hotel.
1: You've been saying that for a few years now.
2: I've also been telling you to check out some other bands over the last few years that we've been hanging out, and you have really enjoyed them. This is true? I've introduced you to bands like Slayer...
1: reintroduced i'd heard of slayer before
2: you had never been to a slayer concert but Mm. since you have been hanging out with me you have been to three slayer concerts
1: yes here's the thing is that slayer only does one song one song Rain of blood
0: from the sky altar of death
2: they're a great band all their songs sound different if you can hear the subtleties in their songs
1: subtleties.
2: All I'm saying is that I have now turned you into a Slayer fan.
1: Uh, I'm a moshing fan, and Slayer facilitates moshing. I like any situation where people can consensually get in a group and shove each other violently with great respect.
2: Okay, fine. Yes, Slayer is one of the better bands to go and mosh to. In my opinion, they are the best speed metal band of all time.
1: I really like the moshing part of Slayer.
2: I've also... Introduced you to Soul Coughing.
0: Reintroduced,
1: yes.
2: Sorry, reintroduced. You had heard these bands before, but you hadn't appreciated them until I said, hey, here's this thing. This is what you can appreciate about them. And now you really like them.
1: This is a fact.
2: I also reintroduced you to Tool.
1: (sighs) Yes, I am shocked that it took me this long to truly appreciate and revel in the genius that is Tool. And I'm convinced that if there is an afterlife, it's hanging out in a comfortable bed listening to Tool for eternity. Tool sounds like heaven to me like it's so ethereal I can't believe that I heard tool when I was younger and it didn't resonate to me to the level it does now because it's it's mind-blowing I can't get enough of tool
2: at this point our listeners might be wondering what all this has to do with the title of this podcast
1: yeah what does all of this have to do with the title of this podcast because I'm not sure if you've checked but the title of this podcast is um.
2: shit Shall I explain what this has to do with the title of this podcast? Please do. One of my favorite Tool songs is Prison Sex. And one of my favorite lines from Prison Sex is...
1: When I'm looking for temporary sanity, I always want to make sure that my hands are coated in fecal matter, blood, and ejaculate, yes.
2: A little while ago, we decided that in honor of your newfound love of tool, we would do a three-part series. The first episode focusing on shit, the second episode focusing on blood, and the third episode focusing on cum.
1: And when you think about it, these three substances have really shaped the course of human history and us as a species.
2: It's true that these three substances have transcended all cultures and times. If you would like to have your voice included on one of the upcoming podcasts of this series, please give us a call and leave a message with blood or cum. At our call-in line. And what is that call-in line, Ms. De DeGray?
1: The call-in line is 614-733-4739.
2: Or 614-R-DeGray.
1: That's DeGray with an E, not an A.
2: That is 614-R-D-E-G-R-E-Y. Ready to get started with episode number...
0: One! Shit, 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 shit.
1: And here we go. Hey,
2: everybody, and welcome to Shit. That's so cheerful. Well, it's something that we all have in common. Every single human being on this planet has their own individual unique relationship to shit.
1: Some more than others.
2: You're talking about corpophilia, aren't you? Yes. We are not going to be talking about that during this podcast.
1: Well, shit. Not anymore.
2: It's brought up the once, and that's it. (laughs) One and done. Okay. And I'm sure people are wondering why wouldn't we be talking about that, because there's such a wide range of other things having to do with shit that are much more interesting and intriguing than copophilia.
1: Not to copephiliacs.
2: I'm sure that they find nothing more interesting and intriguing than shit. Right. But this is the one and only time. One and only. And the last two times that it was brought up that we're talking about that during this podcast.
1: We're now moving forward.
2: You might be asking yourself now, why would I listen to an entire podcast focused on nothing but shit?
1: Yeah, why would I? That is an excellent question.
2: Because we have some really, really interesting, entertaining, funny, bizarre information about shit for you.
1: That is true. We do.
2: And if you're a little bit squeamish, you might want to turn this off now. You can go and listen to one of our other podcasts. But if you're a little bit squeamish, maybe you actually shouldn't
1: be listening listening
2: to to our podcast at all.
1: We don't design podcasts for the squeamish.
2: No. I don't know any other podcast you can go and listen to if you're that squeamish that you can't listen to the next roughly 45 minutes to an hour about nothing but shit.
1: This is just fair warning, probably something you should be listening to with headphones. Like You don't want to be listening to this out loud in a car unless you hang out with very open-minded folks.
2: Oh, shit. Or there's no one else in the car with you.
1: Okay, that's all the trigger warnings, right?
2: I believe so. If you're uncomfortable with poop, (laughs) walk away. This is not
1: the podcast for you.
2: Our first thing we looked into was trying to explore some of the history around poop
1: history around poop, do I have one for you?
2: Tell me what you got.
1: The Lewis and Clark Poop Trail. Say what? (laughs) I know, right? The Lewis and Clark Poop Trail. As it turns out, Meriwether Lewis was only 35 when he died under rather mysterious circumstances. To this day, the debate of murder or suicide compounded by depression and alcohol and an illness of either malaria or syphilis rages on. Whether or not Lewis had syphilis is probably a mystery that's never going to be solved.
2: Where would he have gotten this syphilis? On the trail?
1: No, 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 before. He was 35 when he died.
2: So he had syphilis before Before he set off to find the Northwest Passage?
1: Yeah, and the reason that we are theorizing this, I'm just about to get to. Ta-da!
2: I am in suspense.
1: There are a lot of signs that point out that he may have acquired syphilis at a fairly early age, probably from a lady of ill repute. And when he died under these very mysterious circumstances, one of the theories is that he had had syphilis so long and it progressed so much in his brain that his brain become kind of addled and like split pea soup, which happens in the later stages of syphilis.
2: I understand. If there's anything I've learned from military training films, it's that women are just riddled with disease. And not if, but most probably, if you go to a woman of ill repute, she will be dripping with the gonorrhea or worse.
1: Right, right. Women are open sewers and not to be trusted.
2: Do continue with your poop trail.
1: And how do we know that Lewis felt so strongly about syphilis? We know this because of the poop trail left behind by the Lewis and Clark expedition.
2: They left a trail of poop that stretched the length of the continent?
1: Correct. A trail that can still be traced to this day.
2: But doesn't poop decompose over time? I know that they can find fossilized poop, but it's extremely rare. Normally, poop is really great at just returning to the soil.
1: Yes. The poop returned to the soil. What was also combined with the poop did not.
2: Okay, what was in their poop?
1: This expedition was an extremely well-supplied expedition. And among the many supplies that were brought, were 1,300 doses of a tablet called Dr. Rush's Bilis Pills, also known as thunderclappers. They were called thunderclappers. Why? Because of the extreme laxative effect they had on the human body. It was as if there was a thunder in your colon. Boom! And boom, goes the dynamite.
2: So they were kind of sharding their whole way across the U.S.
1: What happened was back in the days of Lewis and Clark, not that much was known about the human body. And we were still operating under the concept that the body consisted of humors and that these humors could become unbalanced.
2: Humors? Like sense of humor?
1: (laughs) No, like bile and blood This goes back to Greek times. So for over 2,000 years, medical science did not advance that much. We had bloodletting. It was like, oh, the humor of blood has built up. You have excess blood. We need to drain that out.
2: This poor boy is suffering from too much blood. Yeah. Get the leeches.
1: Yes. And if you had too much bile, what would work was purges, as in laxatives that would strip all that extra bile right out and rebalance your humors. By the time of the American Revolution, a substance called chamomile was the laxative of choice. In large doses, it functioned as a purgative, causing lengthy and very productive sessions in the outhouse. And in small doses, it was effective against syphilis. But if you took too much of it, your teeth would fall out and you might die of mercury poisoning.
2: Oh, this sounds exactly like the... Ads they have for drugs on TV these days. Sure, it'll cure what ails you, but it might also cause severe rectal bleeding, hair loss, and death.
1: <laughs> Take this antidepressant, side effects, thoughts of suicide. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I recently looked into some of the hair loss stuff like Propecia, and one of the side effects of Propecia is hair loss.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that was the same issue that they had with this stuff. And Calomel's modern scientific name is mercury chloride.
2: So essentially, they were just pumping themselves full of large amounts of mercury, causing themselves to shit uncontrollably.
1: Yes. Because mercury does not decompose, Lewis and Clark's expedition ended up leaving a distinctive trail across much of America. A low fiber diet, when you're mainly living off of wild game, has a distinctive side effect a side effect that would not be tolerated for long in an age of bloodletting and laxatives. Once any member of the expedition found themselves cursed with either constipation or suspected syphilis, brought on by indiscretions with Native American women they encountered on their journey, they would make a stop for the day, they would dig a large hole, and then they would pitch a tent over the hole, and a thunderclapper would be consumed. (laughs)
2: okay let me get this straight somebody starts getting ill and they say well it's either syphilis or you're constipated correct either way load yourself up with some of this tasty tasty mercury
1: the afflicted individual would then retire to the tent to begin a brutal all-day session of purging While it's hard to say exactly what you would feel like after willingly poisoning yourself with mercury while out in the wilderness, a side effect that probably saved lives was that the laxative was so extreme, the mercury did not stay in the body for long. Instead, it was left behind in holes that precisely mark the exact trail of the expedition to this very day. Science is a glorious thing. Syphilis and constipation, not so much.
2: That's what you got? Lewis and Clark shooting their way across America and leaving little deposits of mercury wherever they went?
1: Yes, and we should post the map because I found a map. And the best thing about this map is because the expedition starts in the east and works their way west. In the beginning, the dots of where they stopped to do the laxative purging was not as frequent. But as they went further west and they got sicker, the dots became more frequent. And you can see the trail thickening and there's more stops and there's more purging the further they work their way west.
2: Truly interesting. I will post that map on the website. Previously on Dirty Talk After, After hours. hours. Yeah, you ready for this final volley? I'm ready. All right, let's, let's do, do it. Alright, hunker down. Oh shit, it looks like they're regrouping. Ah! What are they doing over there? Oh crap! Oh! Incoming! It's coming! Ah!
1: That, no, no. Ah! Say hi to
0: Moriarty for me.
2: Dirty Talk After Hours. Available exclusively on Patreon every Monday morning. If you do want to get access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast, you can get it in one of two ways. You can follow Rain Gray on Patreon at...
1: Patreon.com backslash Rain DeGray. You have to type it out exactly. I'm not searchable because I'm naughty.
2: She has been blacklisted. She's in the adult ghetto.
1: I'm a bad, bad girl. Or
2: you can head on over to our brand spanking new shiny Dirty Talk podcast Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash dirtytalkpodcast. Either way, if you pledge at $5 a month, you will get exclusive weekly access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast.
1: Is that also in the adult ghetto?
2: No, I believe it has not reached the adult ghetto yet. You can still search for it on Patreon just do a search for dirty talk podcast
1: genius
0: i would like to learn more about
2: shit well you are in luck anonymous caller we have a shit ton of information for you about shit did you know that shit has a velocity
1: i did not know that
2: yes scientific research has determined the speed of poop
1: What, pray tell, is the speed of poop?
2: For humans, we defecate at an average rate of about 0.8 inches, which is two centimeters for our European friends and the rest of the world that's on the metric system.
1: The reasonable system.
2: (laughs) We defecate at about 0.8 inches per second.
1: But poop comes in different consistencies, and I would feel that there would be some greatly varying speeds to how fecal matter exits your body.
2: This is the average speed. Right, and they so they found, did a lot
1: of measuring. There were a lot of scientists and lab. I guess they had
2: somebody copping a squat and with they had clipboards a ruler there. and a ruler. Very stringent, intense scientific <laughs> investigation to find out that we shit at a average rate of 0.8 inches per second. If you do the math, that comes to roughly 0.05 miles per hour. And you did do the math. I did the math on that one.
1: This is a very well researched podcast.
2: My thought is that any superhero boasting about being faster than a speeding turd would fail to garner my admiration whatsoever. Okay. You could slow mosey faster than a speeding turd.
1: That's a good thing, I think.
2: Tales of excrement an Arctic survival. Nice. Cold and unforgiving. Many have tried their hand at taming the icy tundra of the north, only to succumb to its frigid wrath. The loneliness bites at your soul. Glacial winds erode your strength, and the ever-present frosty specter of hypothermia lurks tempting you into endless hibernation to survive in this inhospitable alien domain one must have courage the fortitude of will and guts full of feces for your consideration Greenland 1912 embarking from Thule known as beyond the edge of the known world the towering six-foot-seven frame of Peter Fushen slowly traverses the six hundred seven-mile trek across the frozen wasteland, clad in the skin of a polar bear he'd personally slaughtered. Without warning, a blizzard discharges its facial rage upon Fushen. Hey, get a little bit lower on the wind machine, please. Uh, sorry about that, uh, here, how's that? Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks. Without warning, a blizzard discharges its glacial rage upon Shen and crew, lashing out at them with brumal fists. Shen takes shelter under an overturned dog sled to wait out the storm. The fierce storm passes only to leave Fru entombed in a coffin of ice with no means of freeing himself. Many, finding themselves in such a predicament, would give in to this frozen water burial. Not Fru He describes in his memoir, Vagrant Viking.
0: What a way to die. I gave up once more and let the hours pass without another move. But I recovered my strength while I rested and my morale improved. I was alive after all. I had not eaten for hours. But my digestion felt alright. I got a new idea. I had often seen dogs dung in the sled track and had noticed that it would freeze as solid as a rock. Would not the cold have the same effect on human discharge? Repulsive as the thought was, I decided to try the experiment. I moved my bowels, and from the excrement, I managed to fashion a chisel like instrument, which I left to freeze. I was patient. I did not want to risk breaking my new tool by using it too soon. At last I decided to try my chisel, and it
2: worked. After thirty hours, interred in his ice-bound sepulcher, Rushen chipped away at the confining walls, shard by shard, inching closer to freedom, hoping that the fidelity of his instrument of petrified shit would not give out. At last, freed from the grip of the impending arctic death, rushan crawled the three hours back to camp, his toes ravaged by gangrene and his leg frostbitten. Before the day is done, foregoing anesthesia, he amputates his own toes, with some large pinchers, and a hammer, and replaces his leg with a peg. Arctic Bay, 1950, as recounted in an anecdote from ethnobotanist and anthropologist Wade Davis.
3: During the 1950s, the Canadian government forced the Inuit into settlements, A family from Arctic Bay told me this fantastic story of their grandfather who refused to go. The family, fearful for his life, took away all his tools and all his implements, thinking that would force him into the settlement. But instead, he just slipped out of an igloo on a cold Arctic night, pulled down his caribou and sealskin trousers, and defecated into his hand. As the feces began to freeze, he shaped it into the form of an implement, and when the blade started to take shape, he put a spray of saliva along the leading edge to sharpen it, and then what they call the shit knife took form. He used it to butcher a dog, skin the dog with it, improvised a sled with the dog's ribcage. And then using the skin, he harnessed up an adjacent living dog. He put the shit knife in his belt and disappeared into
2: the night. These are truly tales of excrement and arctic survival. Do you know how much we poop? A lot? That's an understatement.
1: A lot, a lot?
2: Well, for the average person, it's about 14 to 17 ounces, that's 400 grams, per day. Which doesn't sound like a whole lot, right?
1: 400 grams can be really expensive. I mean, uh, a lot. I mean, yes. So,
2: what the substance is.
1: Right, right, right. Over
2: time that small mound will add up. To what? By the time you are 21 and ready to go down some shots at a bar legally for your first time, for those of you that wait till you're 21.
1: Legally. Everyone does. Because it's
2: the law in the U.S. The law. You have produced 6,552 pounds. That is three and a half tons of poop. A lot of poop. That is a lot. But for the entirety of humankind, every day, humans alone, this isn't including any other animals on Earth, just the humans, produce 1.75 billion pounds of shit every day. That is 875,000 tons of crap per day.
1: Holy shit.
2: Holy shit, indeed.
1: That's a lot of crap.
2: I know that large numbers tend to be hard to grasp for most people. So I'm going to put that into perspective for you. The Empire State Building weighs 365,000 tons. So humans are producing almost two and a half Empire State Buildings of shit every day. Over the course of a year, that equals to 640 billion pounds of waste or five and a half great walls of China worth of poop.
1: I would like to introduce a theory that I have found fascinating since the day I first heard of it. And it's something I've never been able to forget, and I personally want it to be true. Have you heard of... The stoned ape theory.
2: I have not. Is this apes getting together, smoking some gange, and thinking about the universe?
1: Almost, but it's primitive man with magic mushrooms. One of the enduring mysteries that we have yet to answer is how the human brain seemed to suddenly explode in terms of consciousness and cognitive abilities. Quite suddenly, our brains expanded by orders of magnitude, and we still don't know why. And a possible answer lies in poop and magic mushrooms.
2: Okay, I know that magic mushrooms grow on poop. Is that the connection?
1: It is the connection. As a matter of fact, Homo erectus... A now extinct species of hominids that stood upright were the first of our ancestors to move beyond a single continent. Roughly two million years ago, some of these hominids who eventually evolved into Homo sapiens began to expand their range beyond Africa, moving into Asia and Europe. Along the way, they tracked their food source, which was animals. In tracking these animals, they encountered the dung these animals left behind and on that dung they found mushrooms
2: and of course your first thought when you find something that's growing atop a large pile of shit is i'm gonna put it in my mouth
1: when you're really hungry all sorts of things make sense this is a free food source being offered you'd be a fool not to check out that free food source In encountering this free food source that was available on top of piles of animal poop, and when it comes to survival, hell yeah, they found some mushrooms that they ate. But these were not just any old mushrooms. They were magic mushrooms that contained psilocybin. Magic. In 1992, Terrence McKenna wrote a book called Food of the Gods, And which he theorizes that what caused Homo erectus to evolve into Homo sapiens was its encounter with magic mushrooms and psilocybin. And he called this the stoned ape hypothesis.
2: Magic shit mushrooms.
1: Right. His theory is that psilocybin caused the primitive brain's information processing capabilities to rapidly reorganize which in turn kickstarted the rapid evolution into cognition that led to the early art, language, and technology. As early humans, he theorizes we ate our way into higher consciousness by consuming these mushrooms. The psilocybin that was in these mushrooms brought us out of our animal mind and into the world of articulated speech and imagination. Now, When he wrote this book, people discounted it and said he was totally crazy. But a study has shown that micro doses of psilocybin mushrooms actually improves visual acuity. So if you have improved visual acuity, it would make you a better forager and a better hunter. Better hunters would live longer and healthier, and they would have a higher chance of passing on their genes. Those that passed on genes that were aided and abetted by doses of magic mushrooms could have shaped the entire outcome of human history. Poop. It all comes back to poop. To magic poop mushrooms. I mean, it's an interesting theory, and we will never know one way or the other, but I personally like it, and I'm voting for it being true because... <laughs>
2: if your vote counts for anything. If
1: my vote counts for anything, I vote that the inadvertent consumption of magic mushrooms is the key that kickstarted a huge leap in human evolution.
2: I have weakened eyesight, and you are always commenting on how I like to squint at faraway things.
1: You refuse to wear corrective eye gear because you're vain. You're vain. You my watered. eyesight's not that
2: bad, but ben. now I'm considering maybe I should start microdosing mushrooms in an attempt to improve my eyesight medically. Uh, These uh, are pharmaceutical-grade mushrooms right, I'm right. taking for my eyes.
1: Of course, Yes, officer. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. Uh,
2: interesting.
1: I really like the magic mushrooms.
2: I know you like magic mushrooms.
1: That is not true. You are a very bad human. Stop that.
2: I'm not insinuating anything.
1: You better not be. Say the word shit. (laughs) Shit.
2: (laughs) At this point, you may be asking yourself, where does all this crap go?
1: Where does all this crap go?
2: Why are we not living amongst prodigious mountains of our own feces?
1: Why exactly are we not living amongst (laughs) prodigious mountains of our own feces?
2: Well, most of us never even consider it.
1: I've considered it.
2: Well, generally, we do our business, flush the toilet, and it is magically removed from our lives with a distinct lack of sentimental loss. (laughs) So, what does happen to your little brown buddy? Pray tell. For most of human history, any large settlement would find a creative way to channel all the sludge into the nearest waterway, where it would be whisked away, out of sight, out of mind, except for the unfortunate people who happen to live downstream are inundated by the ceaseless flow of other people's shit.
1: You never want to be downstream from the shit.
2: Or downwind. <laughs> Sadly, this is the state of affairs for roughly half the planet due to the estimated 2.4 billion people that have no access to advance sanitation, and the one billion who have no facilities of any kind. In the Western world, we came up with a brilliant solution. Just ship it out to sea and dump it in the ocean. Genius. Problem solved. Until we realized that the tide was bringing it back to shore and polluting the coasts. Oops. For some reason, it took us a while to figure this out, because the U.S. didn't pass the Ocean Dumping Band Act until 1988, And even then, it took another four years to actually go into effect.
1: A little slow in the uptake we were.
2: This forced us to reevaluate this shitty situation and discover some form of modern alchemy that turns effluence into gold.
1: What is the main method of profiting off poop?
2: I'm glad you asked. It turns out that in the U.S., 50% of it goes into growing plants, some of which will be consumed by us starting the cycle over and creating a sustainable closed loop. Did you know that we humans produce an incredible fertilizer? Do we now? Yes. However, in an attempt to mask its true origins from the squeamish, sewage sludge is magically renamed biosolids.
1: And with the magic of a new label, everything changes.
2: As the EPA puts it, Agricultural use of biosolids have been shown to produce significant improvements in crop growth and yield. The use of biosolids reduces the farmer's production costs and replenishes the organic matter that has been depleted over time. One of the first commercially available biosolid fertilizers called milorganite has been consistently produced by the fine people of Milwaukee since 1926.
1: That's very thoughtful of them indeed.
2: Even the White House lawn was fertilized with a biosolids fertilizer called Compro up until 1999. So the use of biosolids, a.k.a. your poop, my poop, and our neighbor's poop, is a great cost-saving ecological alternative to the use of chemical fertilizers.
1: I don't see what the big deal is. Like, why couldn't you use it as fertilizer? Why do people get so weird about it?
2: Well, people get a little skittish about eating food grown in human feces. They do? Also, there's concern about heavy metals and other toxins that have come out of us and into the fertilizer, contaminating the soil. And biosolid fertilizers can't be used for certified organic farming.
1: Okay, you're right. If I think about it, there is a lot of toxins and medications and stuff that we're passing through our system. But my thoughts
2: on it are, is that that's kind of a symptom of where we are as people, because if it's coming out of us it's coming into us from somewhere and it's toxic environmental pollution to begin with
1: like how birth control in australia is causing fish to stop reproducing
2: uh yeah exactly like that
1: i'm gonna shift from ancient poop possibly bringing us enlightenment to modern poop scientifically bringing us health. Do tell. Fecal transplants.
2: Ah, yes, I have heard of fecal transplants.
1: (laughs) I first heard of this concept a few years ago when my old boss was having some digestive difficulty and he didn't want to pay a bunch of money for a fecal transplant and he was seeing which of his employees had the healthiest colons so he could do a... DIY fecal transplant at his house. And that was when I was first introduced to the concept.
2: I'm happy with my poop. I don't feel like I need anybody else's poop in me.
1: Well, that's because you have a healthy working colon.
2: I have a healthy gut.
1: And if you have a healthy working colon, it's very easy to take it for granted, but not all of us are so lucky. I'm
2: sorry, I wasn't trying to colon shame anyone. Yeah. I know I can sit over here and bask in my... Healthy colon privilege.
1: Yeah, along with your white male privilege, you shut your face. Anyhow, for those of us that are not so privileged, Mister Poopy Pants. Um, some people. I don't
2: have poopy pants because my colon works just fine, thank you.
1: Valid. <laughs> <laughs> some of us have a C difficile, C diff. We're going to call it C diff. It's very scientific.
2: <laughs> it's... <laughs> Too scientific to name.
1: No, no. I every all the research I've done, it's called C diff. All right. And everybody calls it C. diff. It's like C. difficile infection. Okay. But on the websites, it's C. diff. The C. diff. Yeah. If you have C. diff, it's, uh, the effects of this infection can be devastating and significantly change your quality of life. And antibiotics are not a particularly effective treatment. People suffering from this affliction really struggled until... Fecal transplants started becoming more common. Fecal transplants have helped in 85% of cases where antibiotics have failed. Fecal transplants are exactly what they sound like. Stool from a healthy pre-screened donor is implanted in people with unbalanced bacteria, and the results tend to be nothing short of miraculous. As it turns out, not only do fecal transplants help people, There is money to be made as well, lots and lots of money, but not for all parties concerned. Screened FMT runs at roughly $1,600 a dose.
2: $1,600. Correct. For somebody's shit.
1: Correct. But, but... It's, if you think that you have suddenly stumbled upon listening to this podcast to an unexpected money making scheme, I can
0: the, sell my. I've been shitting out thousands of dollars a day. Gone.
1: Yeah, you're not. You're not uh, flushing away thousands of dollars of raw material on the regular. It's not. It's not quite that easy. You have to be pre screened and you have to be healthy, and they don't take that lightly. You have to be willing to go through multiple rounds of blood and stool screening, and if you pass the screening. You have to make a commitment to drop off fresh stool multiple times a week. For this, you are paid $40 a sample.
2: Oh, wait. So I'm paid 40 bucks, but the company is turning around and it's selling it for 1600 It's called capitalism, my friend. That is one hell of a fucking markup.
1: With many medical things, there is a significant markup, yes. All
2: right. All right. Work with me here. Work with me here. Somebody had this idea. First of all, you have to have the idea... I'm going to take somebody else's poop and put it in another person in an attempt to cure them. Right. Right, And then be like, hey, I got this brilliant genius business plan. We'll pay people 40 bucks to mm-hmm. shit in a cup. We then take it, then go and find people that are sick, and we're going to sell it to them for $1,600. I think maybe this was an idea that the stoned ape came up with. Because you have to be kind of high sitting around. I can imagine some guys in the room just smoking a little and be like, hey guys, guys, get this. We're going to take people's shit, pay them some money, and then convince other people that it's valuable and we're going to sell it to them for like shit tons of money.
1: The money is always with the middleman. True. Mm-hmm. As generous as it might sound for something that you're otherwise just throwing it away, $40 doesn't cover much when you have to factor in creating the sample because you got to buy food and you have to transport it for the lab and you got to pay set time out of your day and gas and possibly parking. Gas is like hella expensive these days. Yeah. I would say it qualifies more as a labor of love as opposed to becoming the unexpectedly wealthy emperor of feces. But if you've known anyone who has suffered the agony of gut distress... Causing a little less pain and a little more happiness in the world, one poop at a time, is a just and noble cause.
2: Just, Why are you looking at me like that? Just and noble.
1: It's very heroic. I mean, the, the markup is a lot, but you know the testing costs and, you know.
2: One, yeah, of course, all that poop testing that goes into it.
1: And you got to pay someone to handle the poop, right? Of That's probably, you have to compensate them. Oh,
2: I'm sure that they're not making any profit off of it at all.
1: They're making a shit ton of profit. Shit yeah ton. shit ton yes shit ton
2: you might be wondering what about that other 50% of our dung that doesn't end up in our fields in flower beds I wasn't before but now I am well since you asked <laughs> that's where things get really interesting More and more, we're looking at our own excrement as a significant source of green power.
1: Waste not, want not.
2: The main way this is accomplished is by fermenting it into large anaerobic digesters that break it down into biogas, a.k.a. methane. The methane that is produced by this process is almost identical to the natural gas that we use daily, which is comprised of about 87% methane. However, unlike natural gas, the biogas does not need to be drilled or fracked for, It is completely renewable, is carbon neutral, and when produced on a large scale, can be produced cheaper.
1: There's gold in them there
2: shits. And energy. Based on my calculations, your morning squat can provide enough biogas to light a 60-watt incandescent light bulb for almost two and a half hours. Biogas also has the potential to be big business. A UN report estimates that globally, human waste converted to fuel could have a value of about $9.5 billion. The amount of waste produced by just the 1 billion people with no sanitation facilities that we mentioned earlier could be worth up to $376 million in methane production alone, and that's enough energy to power 10 to 18 million households we are literally flushing billions of dollars down the drain. Some companies are already cashing in on this BM bonanza. In the UK, a company called Genico has started running a commuter bus service between Bath and Bristol Airport, which runs on human waste. The bus can travel about 186 miles on the yearly waste of five people. Also, since the waste is collected locally, some of the riders are being conveyed on energy that they themselves contributed to. The other main way to get power from our poop is to burn it. Some enterprising young men in the capital of Ghana are diverting truckloads of sewage that would normally be dumped into the ocean. At their makeshift processing plant, they separate the solids from the water, then dry them and burn them to create charcoal, which they then hand-press into bricks and sell to the local population as cooking fuel. This charcoal has the added benefits of being completely renewable, as well as helping fight Ghana's deforestation problem. There are also other concerns pursuing the same business model in Uganda and Kenya. This charcoal isn't just passable, it's exceptional. The stuff burns longer than firewood or traditional charcoal, is cheaper to both produce and purchase, creates less smoke, and has no smell. Using human waste as cooking fuel does have biblical precedent. You've heard of the uh, Ezekiel 4-9 bread?
1: Yes, I have.
2: They like to quote Ezekiel 4-9. Take for yourself also wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, and put them in one vessel. Make bread of it.
1: They do like to quote that, yes.
2: But they conveniently leave out Ezekiel four twelve. You shall eat it as barley cakes, and you shall bake it in their sight with dung that comes out of man.
1: <laughs> they do drop that part off. Yes, it's true. Hey, everyone. This is Rain De Grey. If you want to keep tabs on me and check out all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head on over to my website, raindegrey.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, so that you and I can stay in touch. And if you are on Twitter, check me out at either Rain De Grey or the Dirty Talk Cast.
2: Dirty Talk Podcast has a new Twitter. Just search Twitter for Dirty Talk Podcast or add us at Dirty Talk Cast.
1: Oot! As much as I love the Dirty Talk Podcast, I also happen to really, really like true crime podcasts. I admit it, I have a weakness. I listen to them all the time. Do you have any true crime for me?
2: For as long as human beings have been on this planet, they've been doing two things, creating fecal matter and committing murder. Unfortunately, when the two collide in the twisted mind of a killer, it can have disastrous results. Join us for our in depth look at when crap can kill. April 1996, Coral Springs, Florida. Kathy Bush seemed like a dedicated, caring mother to her daughter Jennifer. Jennifer's plight had been making national headlines due to her ongoing illnesses that caused her to have an astounding 200 hospitalizations and 40 surgical operations by the time she was eight years old. She had even been used as a poster child for the Clinton administration's efforts to overhaul health care, even sitting beside Hillary Clinton at an event and testifying at congressional hearings on health care costs but could the source of Jennifer's ailments have been the very mother that professed so much love and self-sacrifice for her debilitated daughter that was what prosecutors asserted when they arrested mrs. Bush for aggravated child abuse and fraudulently bilking the health care system for over three million dollars Authorities claimed that Kathy Bush suffered from Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a rare form of child abuse in which an adult makes a child ill to get attention. They accused Mrs. Bush of injecting fecal bacteria into a tube that had been surgically implanted into her daughter's stomach with the intent of keeping her daughter infirmed and her in the limelight. Jennifer was placed in state care and her mother was sentenced to five years behind bars for her crime. July 2016 Newcastle County, Delaware As a pediatric nurse, Stephanie McMullen was dedicated to the care and health of children. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said when it came to the well-being of her own toddler son. Doctors at the hospital where McMullen worked became concerned and alerted authorities because her 22-month-old son had been hospitalized six times since he was four months old, with serious, potentially life-threatening illnesses. Again, was the mother to blame for her sickly child? McMullen was accused of having Munchausen syndrome by proxy and injecting feces into her son to make him ill. During one examination, doctors found E. coli in the boy's bloodstream, which could have eventually led to the death of the child. The doctors insisted that the only way it could have entered the bloodstream was through injection, not consumption. A search of McMullen's hospital locker revealed that against hospital policy, she had needles, a syringe holder, and an intravenous line tap stored there. Detectives also seized a computer in the McMullen's home which indicated that she had been researching child poisoning on the internet. During a forensic analysis of the laptop, detectives say they discovered that McMullen, under the username of Stephanie, conducted a search for bacteria E. coli incubation on January 29th. Two days later, her son was admitted to the hospital with fever and diarrhea. Thankfully, McMullen's son was not a victim of when crap can kill. January 2014, Sun Lakes, Arizona. Phil Vogel was convalescing in his hospital bed following heart surgery. Luckily, he had his 65-year-old wife and former nurse Rosemary by his side. Or was it lucky? When the alarm connected to Mr. Vogel's IV monitor sounded, hospital staff entered the recovery room and found Mrs. Vogel manipulating her husband's IV. Mrs. Vogel was allegedly trying to drain the fluid from the line into a waste basket, but a nurse intervened. Upon further examination, a brown substance was found in the IV line which was immediately removed from her husband's arm. A test revealed the fluid contained fecal matter. Rosemary Vogel was arrested for attempted first-degree murder and vulnerable adult abuse. A search of her purse revealed three more syringes, two of them containing fluid and a third appeared to have traces of fecal matter. At her trial, Phil Vogel defended his wife, stating that he still loved his wife and had forgiven her for her actions. He claimed that she hadn't slept in several days and was extremely depressed at the time of the attack due to the fact that his wife's best friend had died a month prior and that the death contributed to her state of mind. As for Mrs. Vogel, she conveniently claimed to have no recollection of the incident or the events leading up to it. January 2015, Cincinnati, Ohio. For Candida Flutie, caring for her nine-year-old son was a full-time job. Her son Elijah struggled with an ongoing battle against Hichprung disease a rare congenital blockage of his large intestine. By all appearances, Candida Flutie seemed to be a loving and devoted mother. But as you can surmise, since you're listening to a true crime podcast, she wasn't. On January 17, 2015, Flutie was arrested and charged with two counts of felonious assault and two counts of endangering children. That month... Flutie and her son had flown from their West Virginia home to Cincinnati's Children's Hospital for treatment. Security camera footage from the hospital showed Flutie filling a syringe with the fecal matter from a colostomy bag and injecting it into her son's intravenous line, causing his fever to spike drastically. Prosecutors alleged that Flutie's intent was not to kill the boy, but make him sick so she could continue to garner attention from her son's illness. Flutie had been getting a lot of attention because of her son's sickness. The Cincinnati Bengals had recently sent them to a game, and friends had held multiple fundraisers to help offset the family's medical bills. Chalk it up to one more case of a Munchausen Syndrome by proxy mother using IV fecal matter injection as her modus operandi. November 2016, Indianapolis, Indiana. Tiffany Albert's 15 year old son had been receiving treatment for leukemia since early August 2016 at Riley Hospital for Children. After he was released, he returned to the hospital a few days later, early September 2016, with a fever, vomiting, and diarrhea. Blood tests of the boy showed organisms that are normally found in feces cause an infection which an extensive medical evaluation could not explain. Suspecting someone may be contaminating the patient's IV lines, hospital staff began monitoring the teenager's room with video surveillance. What they discovered may shock you. They observed his own mother injecting a substance into his central line. Under questioning, Alberts at first stated that she was only injecting water to flush the line because the medicine that was given to him burned. She later admitted to injecting her son's own fecal matter, which she had kept in a gift bag on the bathroom sink of his room since November 13th. She claimed her actions were meant to get her son moved from the ICU to another Riley unit, where she believed the treatment was better. Alberts was charged with six counts of aggravated battery and one count of neglect of a dependent, resulting in serious bodily injury. The doctors said that her son was lucky because he could have died from any of the episodes of septic shock and may well die from his leukemia due to the prolonged delay in therapy. Why are so many people using fecal IV injection as a weapon? you would have to slip into the mind of a maniac to find the answer, which would only lead you down a path of insanity to your own slow, painful demise. The main problem with powering the world with poop is the collection process. How do we get that brown gold from the half of the world population that doesn't have access to adequate sanitation systems? Enter the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Reinvent the Toilet Challenge. The challenge offers grant money for developing the toilet of the future. One of the round two winners comes from a team of scientists at Cranfield University in England they received a $810,000 grant to develop the nano membrane toilet. Although it is still in development, and there is currently no working model of it, it has great promise. This toilet works without the need for water or electricity, which makes it perfect for the developing world. The whole mechanism is controlled by the opening and closing of the lid, which operates the waterless flush sealing, rotating drum. Once all the materials are inside, the solid waste settles to the bottom of the holding tank, where it is moved by an Archimedes screw, which is also driven by the opening and closing of the lid, to a chamber in the back of the toilet, where it will be burned as fuel for the heat exchanger. The liquid is moved along through a series of nanomembranes, which remove the toxins. It is then heated by the poop-powered heat exchanger, turned into vapor, which then condenses into water that is stored in a holding tank beneath the toilet's front step. This water can then be used for watering plants or household cleaning. There are so many great new technologies emerging around the problem of dealing with humankind's ongoing ship parade. I'm excited to see what the future of feces will bring.
1: I'd have to say that the future of poop sounds quite exciting and Fascinating, and I'm really curious to see how this is going to unfold.
2: Feces has a bright, shiny future ahead of it.
1: <laughs> I don't know about shiny.
2: Well, I'm going to polish that turd.
1: <laughs> that is all that we have for shit, and it has been a fascinating journey with injecting IV lines, arctic shit knives, magic mushrooms in human consciousness,
2: putting poop from one person to another. <laughs>
1: All of this was sprung off of a tool line, and we started doing the research. I was astounded. We've left a lot of shit by the wayside.
2: There's a lot of shit we left out.
1: (laughs) There was so much more shit that it could have been added. I mean, I found this topic fascinating. I'm never going to forget the Arctic poop knives. That's in my consciousness forever.
2: Now you know that you can survive just on will and poop alone. Yeah. (laughs) When facing the icy, icy cold. (laughs)
1: I don't know that I have within me the wherewithal to kill a dog and drive off in a rib sleigh to hang out in the snow. Just me, the dog I haven't killed in a shit knife. I don't know that I want to survive that bad.
2: You just aren't that hardcore.
1: No, I don't come from hardy stock. I'm a fragile flower.
2: If you enjoyed this shitty podcast, (laughs) feel free to check out the one coming out next month.
1: Blood. 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 Blood.
2: Also, please call in and leave your blood or cum on the answering machine.
1: Uh, not literally.
2: Don't leave it there, but just the words.
1: Right, right. Figuratively <laughs> is what we're going for.
2: What we want is your blood and cum.
1: Yes. Please. We're asking nicely. <laughs>
2: with our hands wide open. <laughs> Again, I want to put out my podcast challenge that I put out at the end of every episode. If you have enjoyed this, please share it with other people. My challenge is to go out and tell at least one person we really enjoy doing these podcasts and love seeing our audience grow.
1: And we can't do it without you.
2: In case you were wondering, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Basically anywhere you can find a podcast. Please do us a favor, rate it, review it, It really does help other people find these shows. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we continue to try and find some sort of temporary sanity in this shit, blood, and cum on our hands.
1: Do you have a wet wipe?
2: It's in the bathroom.